welcome everyone to another episode of season five of the collective table songs of summer during this season we're talking with songwriters and musical artists about their songs and spirituality and today myself claire and reverend chelsea are speaking with similar and we're going to talk about their song late bloomer so Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's really it's really great to speak with both of you. I would love for us to just start with, can you share a little bit about yourself and particularly how did you get into music? Well, I've been writing music probably as early as I pretty much have memories. I've heard like a little radio in my head and it would just be jingles as a kid. And then as I got older, I was able to understand that that's songs. And then I taught myself guitar on the age of like 12 to just try and commit those songs to something more tangible because I would be pretty insane on the playground and I'd go up to my friends and I'd be like, oh, didn't you hear this song? And it was a song that was just in my head and people would just stare at me and they'd be like, I've never heard that song before. That song doesn't exist. So I realized that I had to teach myself instruments in order to commit it to a more tangible form and thereby share my music. But as soon as I kind of realized who I was, I became very private with my music and my songwriting. And I realized that I couldn't use the right pronouns in songs. And I just became pretty secretive. And so I started exploring other options because I knew I was always interested in entertainment. So I worked as like I was a stand-up comedian for a very short time. It wasn't my best. And then I was doing hosting for a long time. I really enjoyed doing like uh, web hosting and, and unscripted documentary hosting. And the last episode of this doc series that I was doing called State of Grace, because my full name is Grace Semler Baldridge, so it was like a play on my name. This episode about the Christian music industry, because my dad is a priest and I grew up in the church listening to Christian music, just kind of checking in with what like temp check, like what's going on in CCM. And I got back. It was the last episode we filmed before production shut down for COVID. And I just realized that there were a lot of things from growing up that I'd never dealt with before. I think probably as a part of me becoming very secret and private with my songwriting, I also just shut down parts of things that I wanted to express that I, I just closed that door. I was like, I'm not ready to deal with that. And then during quarantine, it was almost like, I don't know if I, I don't know how the door got open. I just got, it got open. And then there were a lot of unresolved things that I just started writing about. And ever since then, it's just been um, this, this really incredible sort of free flowing of, of songwriting. Like I feel like finally the, the radio that I've always heard in my head since I was a kid, I'm not censoring any part of it anymore. Whereas before I was sort of like, Ooh, no, we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to use these words or we're not going to unpack that theme. And that is where I've found myself recently. So I've been writing music and producing music and putting out music for a long time. But I don't think that I had really um, tapped into my full capacity as a songwriter until like the last two years. Always wanted to be more than just another compliant Christian daughter. You can see it in my prom photos, honey. I was underwater. You mentioned growing up as a PK or a pastor's kid. What was church like for you growing up? I mean, it, you, there's a lot of mixed messages in churches, or there's a lot of clear harmful messages in some churches. And so I wonder if you could just share with us kind of like what your experience was. So my dad is an Episcopal priest. He's retired now. And so the Episcopal denomination was an early affirming denomination. But prior to that affirmation, and I think 
even through it at a lot of Episcopal churches, it's still sort of like a taboo subject. It's still, I didn't grow up really hearing it talked about at all. There weren't like pride flags or pride celebrations. There was no like public affirmation of queer people. And so that was, I guess, that's just what it was. But the youth group and the youth activities were outsourced to more evangelical traditions. And so we go, we went through like young life and 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 different like missionaries from the US. I grew up in Belgium also would come to Belgium and they would like run our youth programs. And in those programs with those leaders, it was pretty clear that marriage was between one man and one woman and that this was what biblical womanhood looked like. And this is what all, all that division was introduced in that way. And I just assumed because I wasn't hearing anything to the contrary that that was also kind of the belief of my denomination. It wasn't uh, like I didn't grow up in, a, in an explicitly, you know, hateful and bigoted church, but I definitely grew up in a church that that silence was really loud to a queer person. You just, I always think about that. Like a lot of times people must have been preaching or sharing messages and they had like no idea. Cause I, I looked, I presented really differently. I did what I refer to as like pretty hardcore method acting for like the majority of my life as this like straight, like Christian girl and stuff. And honestly, like I mean, some of my friends would be like, no, you never pulled it off. But I think like, that's why I'm not impressed by method acting. I'm like, I did that. Like, give me my Oscar. Like I can do it. A lot of times people, would just say things and they had no idea that there was like a queer person in the room um and so i I think that's like the environment that i grew up in is like this like fly on the wall of a lot of the the micro and some sort of more macro uh aggressions against lgbtq plus people in very like polite christian culture yeah we have a problem with being nice but you're actually saying like something that would make someone feel awful yeah we've been talking about in our community recently about what what does it mean to be nice? And do Christians necessarily have to be quote unquote nice? Because there there's yeah. a difference. You were talking about, you know, this form of method acting. If you don't mind me asking, at what point did you did you kind of realize that, that you were acting? I feel like I always knew. I knew I don't know when when the, the acting probably started around puberty, because then you realize like, okay, the the kids are doing these things like you want to fit in and around puberty is really when you become like you're so aware of your body and you're so aware of like what people are wearing to fit in and how people are behaving to fit in my smile changed around puberty for a time like ugh, just like so weird like little things like to have like a more girly I don't know what that means but like to just all that stuff but I always knew I was different from around the age of like four or five on the playground I just remember always like um I was I was uh throwing tantrums when I would be put into dresses for church I was like cutting my own hair and I was like stealing my brother's clothing it was a huge deal I'll never forget it I still bring this up it was just such a big day for me when um my mom let me pick out from the boys side of the Land's End catalog uh we were ordering my brother and I got to order like a shirt from Land's End and I got to order from the boys section this like basketball t-shirt and I just like it was my favorite shirt and I was just so happy when it arrived and that I got to choose it and like that it was not from the girls section I I just I'll never forget that shirt I wore it in like so many photos so I always knew that that was different I knew that when we would play house I always was wanting to be the husband in playing house that was just the relational dynamic that came naturally to me. And I don't think I knew what the words for it were until probably like 13 or 14. And then you, I didn't hear 
gay in a positive way until much, much later. How was your fa- like when you were going through all, like your adolescence, how was your family? Did you receive messages from them either way or was it a supportive environment? Like what, what kind of was your family dynamic? I think I always joke about this with my mom. It's so funny that like how God pairs people together, like how like the people that are put into your life, I think it's just hilarious. God is hilarious. Because my name is Grace, that was the name they gave me. My mom had me kind of later in life. And so the the thinking when they named their baby girl Grace was like, it's by the grace of God that we have this baby girl. And I don't identify as a girl. And I am, I have a knife tattoo on my arm. And I've like dyed my hair pink and shaved my head, all this stuff. And that is the grace of God that was given to my mom. I I think that it's what's funny is that my mom is so loving. Both my parents are very, very loving. And they also have just been like, I feel like I blew into their life like a tornado. And they were like, okay, we just want you to be healthy. There were a lot of things I was very secretive about for a long time. And so they were very confused. But they were they really have been pretty good when I was ready to talk about things to receive that. And I think especially recently to um, extend, I think, compassion for things that could have gone differently, that should have gone differently and judgment calls that they they didn't that, that could have been better at the time. I think we've been I've been very fortunate that we've been able to have those kinds of difficult conversations. We've had a lot of difficult conversations at the time. I think I was just like a really confusing ball of chaos. I think I was, it was just like, there'd be like no posters in your room. And then that night I stayed up all night putting up metal posters in my room. Like why? I don't know why. Just to like poke, just like I had to like poke and like needle at the rules. And so I I think I was just very confusing for them. And I do think that if there had been more language and more, more openness around queer identities, that that could have been really a really incredible and and a lot of uh it could have been different <laughs> if we'd had like some language for it but we didn't and so all they knew was like we have this like kid who like locks herself in her room until she leaves for basketball practice and then locks herself back in her room and like covers her wall in metal posters and that's what she's doing i guess <laughs> Yeah, language and representation like you said before you know because totally. if you didn't have that chances are they they didn't see that either well, yeah, because I didn't know what was going on with me either. It, like I use sometimes I use yeah. the metaphor of like finding out that you're a werewolf, which is incredible because like oh my gosh, I'm so powerful, I'm a werewolf. But like when you're becoming this thing that's greater than yourself, and I do view my queerness as like this divine blessing and how I experience the world, and I'm I'm so thankful for that. But at the at the time, you you're not at the time. You're like, why can't I just be like everyone else? What's wrong with me? I think it's better to just like sort of hide away and like to keep secrets and to just like go into myself. And I know now that that's not that's that's not the case. But I wish that there had been some representation of like, no, 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 like you can be a healthy queer adult, and what you're going through now is adolescence as a queer person. And straight people go through adolescence as well with its own trials and tribulations. I just was going through something totally different that I just thought that I was. I thought I would. I just thought I was the loneliest person in the world. Like that, no one had ever experienced heartache like this before. And I was just like, "Oh wow, they're gonna write books about me, like because of how weird I am." One day. I love how you say it's your superpower now, though, because it's like this re. It is. It's such a beautiful diversity of like what God looks like, and and I wonder if you f- if you feel that there is like a change coming. I mean, because you've had number one hits on the Christian music charts like 
what is that like? And you know, we were kind of joking before about you being different than other artists on there, but does it feel like there's there's change coming in, in that regard? I don't know. I think from the establishment, no, because otherwise, like you know, candidly, I I would have been signed by now. Like if there were if 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 I was if there was if there was interest in change and an independent artist went number one in Christian music, if I wasn't who I was. I'd be signed by now. They'd be like, oh my gosh, the, Lauren Daigle, like, let's go. <laughs> like, who is this? Right, right. There, There's no interest from the establishment. So, and I, and I understand why, and I'm not like, I, I don't want to be for everybody. You know, I'm not trying to be like an artist for every single person. I'm just trying to be honest about my experiences and how my faith influences my life. And I'm not trying to do any more or less than what that is. But I do think that we're seeing, there is a shift and a change in the audience and I think in the listenership. That's what I've found is that people have been really wanting to hear this type of these types of themes explored in their music. And that a lot of people have experiences with God and divinity that are not binary or linear, that are not all praise and worship all the time. Not that there isn't praise and worship in my own life and not that there shouldn't be praise and worship in Christian music. But where is the lamentation? Where is the doubt? Where is the struggle? The fact that like we've decided that there's absolutely no cursing in any expression of faith is insane because I think that so many of us when we've been down and out, like who hasn't like said like a holy F bomb now and again, I certainly do all the time. Like not cursing at people, but like there's just there's there's this richness and and this breadth to walking in faith that I don't think has been explored because there have been these really strict parameters in CCM. And I don't know if the establishment is interested in doing that. I, I can't speak to that. But I do think that there's a listenership that's like, I want to engage in divinity in a way where like, throw away all the boxes, like just throw away all of that and see what you find and see what artists you resonate with. Exploring the depth and breadth of life is a form of worship and exploring divinity. Like I well, not lie, I've been jamming out to your songs all week as I've been preparing for this interview. And I feel like you have such a, a great range of things in your catalog. I love Don't Tell Anyone. And in your music video, you're just like jamming out and dancing. And then you have Jesus from Texas, which is like slow and deep. And, you know, we're talking about late bloomer today. Like there's there's such a great range of of topics and themes that you explore. Thank you. I would say it and topics and it's fun. Like your music is really fun to listen to. And not that other Christian music isn't, but it feels outside the box, even in sound. And then also in like lyrics and thoughtfulness, it's, it's different. And I think people, like you're saying, like the listenership is ready for a more expansive understanding of God and a more expansive way of participating in their own faith life. And even sonically, like an instrumentation, like I don't go into any session being like, how will this sound in a mega church? You know, like I go into every songwriting session or anytime I'm writing a song and just like, how does this occur to me? Like what, what's a cool way of sharing this? What's an instrument that maybe I want to experiment with? And I'm not thinking about the parameters of like, don't use that type of synth in Christian music because they don't do that. That won't play well. Or don't use that type of distortion on your voice. That's not really like a Christian thing. I'm like, who made these rules? Like, this is so silly. I love that. So I'm curious about what you would say either to your younger self or to a, a younger queer person who might be feeling that tension in their life. You know, maybe they feel like they need to ch- to 
to choose between their faith and their sexuality or, or gender identity? What what would you tell them? I just would encourage that person to seek and pursue wholeness within yourself. That division was introduced to you, but we were not created in that way. And as like that, that's how I find peace and stillness, which is how I experience God, is in recognizing that all these facets of who I am, being queer is one of those things, is part of a whole person. It's not about like cutting off my arm, you know, cutting off this, taking up a cross. It's not about any of that. I was created wholly in the image of God, and being queer is part of that. And people will tell you differently, and you don't need to proof text your life to anybody. It's between yourself and your creator, if that's what you believe. And that's, that's it. Those are the, these are the only people that you need to get right with and respond to. And I also think that I would say find some good friends or a good support system, like a long-term one. I have friends that have been in my life since I was real little, and that's so important. And people that you can just be honest with and just know that in time things will make more sense. You will receive clarity and it will get easier in time. And I know that sucks to hear at the time. It really does. How can the church support that? Like, how can the church be better at that? I've, I've had this question before and I, I wish I had something more thoughtful to say, but I don't really know because I think that I, at this point in time, am, pr- am pretty disillusioned with church. I haven't seen it yet where... I think that there's a really great model for queer kids coming through the church. And that's just because it's such a recent venture that churches are even trying to do this. So we haven't really seen how it how it's been done and, and almost like what the reviews are from queer kids. So I'm I'm pretty I think the a better person to ask would probably be a queer kid in church, which is like, what do you need? What are you looking for right now? What's not working? And, and how can we be there to support you? Because these are all things that like, I just never experienced. And so I don't, it's almost like you don't know what you don't know. I don't know what it would have looked like to have been openly queer at youth group or on any of those, at any of those functions. I have no idea what that would have been like. And the thought of it is actually like, bleh, like squirmy to me because I just feel like it would have been strange, but I'm sure that there are youth programs um, or churches that are doing it well. I'm just I've not really checked into that, but it's important. And I, I'm curious, like the kids let us know (laughs) what to do. I just, I just don't know what it is. Young queer kids who are in church that I do know, it's the adults in their lives who have been authentically themselves, whether that be out in queer or, or whoever they are that have given them the kids permission to be themselves. So I think that goes back to what you were saying about like representation being one of the most important things. Yeah, I would say like, it's not uh, very specific or tangible, but I would say that representation is always so important when it comes to like a a kid seeing themselves represented at church present there, that can only foster or at least combat the feelings of shame that you're going to get from like living in a heteronormative culture. But it's fine, honey, I'm fine. I'm just a late bloomer. Well, let's move to the song. I just, I want to hear from you. What is a late bloomer? I think it's someone who comes into themselves, maybe steps into their, their power, their light at a 
different time than their peers may have stepped into that same power and light or belonging or purpose. That that's what I think about. I just I wrote this song when I was on my way to a photo shoot at like and we had to do it was like a sunrise photo shoot. So I was in my car at like 3:30 or like 4 in the morning and I was thinking about my friends from growing up who their lives are just totally different and I was like what am I doing like driving to this photo shoot for my music? for what? Who is this for? Like, what, what am I really doing? I'm almost like at, at this time, I was still just sort of like searching for stuff, just trying to find out my way as an artist. And that it's pretty late to do that. I think I was like 29 when I wrote Late Bloomer, maybe 30. And realizing that my, you know, my other friends growing up just had a totally different day to day life. And isn't that interesting? And, and why that came to be and why I wasn't able to sing authentically, write authentically sooner than my other friends who are artists who have been writing music and have been able to use the right pronouns in songs um, when they were teenagers. You know, they didn't cut that off. So that's that's how the song started for me while I was like driving, just bleary eyed on the way to the, I was like, why am I doing this? Like, what is, my life is so weird. None of my friends wake up at 4 a.m. to like do a photo shoot with their guitar. I'm just a late bloomer. I couldn't get here sooner I'm just a late bloomer Feels like I barely grew up I love the refrain that you have You say over and over like I wish I could have been myself sooner and then towards the end you say like I I couldn't get here sooner and I that really resonated with me and I I I love that I'm I'm wondering if if there's anything else behind that, that that you see or? I think just making peace with your younger self. I used to be so embarrassed about who I was. I used to like not be able to look at photos of my old self because I would characterize that person as like a coward for not coming out sooner. I had friends who lived most of their life as themselves. Like um, if you think of like how I present today, like I have friends who have like since they were kids always presented this way. And I knew that I always wanted to be myself. I knew who I was. So why was I hiding for so long? And I used to get so frustrated with myself about that. And I would be really hard, especially on like 16, 17 year old me, 18 year old me. I'd be like, come on, like, what were you so scared of? Like, this is embarrassing. And I think that this song is really extending a bit of a hug of like, you weren't ready to to do that yet. And it's okay. Like you, that's okay. Like you needed that person. You needed that person to protect you for as long as she was able to. It's okay to sort of like let that older version go in some ways, because it was totally a costume and just to let it go, but also think of it fondly because I wouldn't be here if that person had not you know, protected me in a, in a very literal sense. Like I really, I had some really low points in my life and I'm very thankful that there was, that person obviously was not a coward because we got through it and here I am to sit with you. It's a beautiful example of some self-compassion. <laughs> it's taken me a while. <laughs> but it almost reminded me of like, I have a, a four-year-old, like, you know, the the stuffed animal that you have that you think is protecting you, but like you need that thing at that stage of your life. And like, at some point, you're able to let it go, but not now it's not mm-hmm. ready. And so that to recognize that and give that that person a hug is really is a really beautiful example of that. It reminds me a lot of inner child work. Like sometimes if I'm if I'm struggling, I 
will literally look at a photo of, of my younger self and think about what I'm doing and, and do it for her. And it's like a really like grounding practice. Huge. Inner child work is huge. Yeah. I often, but I, but I would find myself thinking about me when I was like six or seven and I was totally me at that time. Like it was before a lot of things had come in. It was like me living my Land's End shirt fantasy. Like I was just really, aside from like having to, you know, my mom would still dictate my haircuts, which is something that I would totally not do as a parent. Um, like aside from like that type of stuff, I was really able to like live freely as myself and I often think of that kid and I'm like, oh, like this treasure, this precious child. But then I think of myself at 17 and I'm like, this bitch. And I'm like, no, you have to stop doing that. Like you needed that person. You needed who that person was and she was there for you. She was doing her best with the information she had. In the yearbook is lovely, but she's nothing like me. I think she was always hoping that one day we'd be And we did Oh, you made it And you even, like, as the song progresses, like, towards the end, you say, like, I, I never knew her. Tell, tell us more about that. I think just because, especially, like, teens, for me, like, it was just a character. Um, And so it was like some of my, some people who are still in my life who have known me a long time will know that like behind closed doors and privately, like I still had the same personality. Like we still have the same inside jokes and all that stuff. My humor, my sense of humor is pretty similar, but I just really put on this character of like this very loud class clown presenting feminine just desexualizing myself in any way that I could so that no one even talked about if I was interested in guys or girls or whoever, because I was just so out there, but it was a character, you know, it was just, it was playing a role and you can know a character, but like, can you, but they're not a real person. It's not someone, it was like weird things that I would say that were just like, not true. That were, I guess, white lies, like just being like, yeah, like I, Jude Law is hot. Like just to offer that to a, like, why, for who? I don't know. I, he, sure, he seems like a good looking guy, but it's like weird things that like, I don't know that person that thinks that because that person doesn't exist. That's, I mean, no, no, there are people ex- who exist who do think that Jude Law is hot, but they weren't me, <laughs> is what I'm saying. And so it was just like this character act and it's not really a real person. So how can you really know that person? I feel like I did that in youth group too, in like other aspects. Like I always wanted to be like pure and good and nice and like, I don't know. I can't think of a particular white lie, but there was always like kind of an act of like, here's how you should be. This is the fe- the godly woman and she's supposed to be submissive and hard- like all these things. And I'm just like, that's not me at all. Like there's something about church that has some type of authority to like shape mm-hmm. our personhood or something. And, you know, I resonate with that. That we talk about, you know, freedom in Christ and like freedom in faith and how faith is freedom. Off that imagery and that language is is used a lot. And yet in so many church environments, there are very rigid boundaries on belonging. What can you wear to church? How much makeup can you wear to church? What types of jokes can you make? What type of language can you use? And that is then given back to you. It's regurgitated to you as freedom 
where it's like limit everything about who this this colorful person that God created you to be, this fullness, this wholeness of a person that you were created to be. We're going to tell you, we're going to prescribe to you freedom our way. In our interpretation of God, it's this way. It's these types of jokes, this type of behavior, this type of relational dynamic, this type of clothing, you know, it's every, this type of music, it's everything. And that is not, I don't, I don't feel that that's true for me. That's not how I experience freedom. I'm just a late bloomer. I wish you could have been myself sooner. Ask me about my past and I'll say I never knew her. I'm just a late bloomer. So I guess even though it's fairly new, I'm wondering if the song has evolved at all for you since you've written it? Because I know things are always, always changing in life. So if you could go back, would you add something to this? Would you add something to the song? Would you take something out of the song, you know, as you're performing it? Or are there different things that you're doing with it? I think the cool thing for me about songwriting is once a song is done, there are very few examples of when I would go back and sort of edit anything. I might revisit some of the production, that's something I would probably revisit if I had the time or the curiosity really to do so. But nothing, I think, lyrically. I The cool thing about a song is that it's almost like this little snapshot of this thing that you're feeling or reflecting on at, in that moment. And it doesn't need to be, I don't know if I'll ever write like, this is my like, the song of songs, like I'll never need another song ever again. Like I, this is it. Um, there's songs that certainly feel like that when you write them. And then as you continue moving forward, you realize that there's other things to say and different reflections to add. And so I think with Late Bloomer, it's, it's, this, it's this nice snapshot of me reflecting on coming into my own as a songwriter at this very strange time and, and finding community in talking about something that for me was so isolating. So I think wrestling with that of like having this experience as this out of place Christian daughter, which was the thing that I just hated talking about the most at parties. And I just like hated dealing with it was actually something that I was finding a great deal of community through. And so I like that song for what it is. I don't know if I would change anything lyrically, but I might tweak production, but that's just because I'm like kind of a perfectionist about things like that. I can always hear like little things I would do a little bit different. You know, when you're talking about that, this just occurred to me, but it feels very similar to writing a sermon and, and you take so much of yourself and you're so vulnerable and then you like give it to the world. And maybe in a couple years you would have changed things, but that is a snapshot. How do you feel like releasing stuff? I mean, it, it's so vulnerable. And I would imagine like when I preach, I like am a little scared, right? Because like the thing I'm saying is so true to me and so important to me. And how do you feel when you release something like especially like late bloomer? I bet sermons are so much scarier than songs. I think just, I would imagine, I just know from my dad writing sermons and yeah, that's a, it's a bold thing to do. It's an incredibly vulnerable thing to write sermons. I think when I release songs, it feels to me, the process is fulfilled. So it starts in my little radio brain and then it goes through to an instrument. I then play it with some of my collaborators. We find what the instrumentation is and it comes alive again in the room of like, of building this production and you have all this energy in the studio and that has to go somewhere. It absolutely, like I, my problem that I deal with, with like people on my team and in like, uh, for like the streaming services is that I release real quick and I'm like, I'm ready to go. 
now because I can't sit with all this energy. I have to push it out. I have to push it out. That's the that's the fulfillment of the whole expression for me. I don't want to sit with it and stew with my own music privately. That's the songwriting process for me. I'll like sit with a song for a while, but once that song is done, I think it it has to be released and shared. And then the cool thing about it, and I don't know if you feel the same way about sermons, is that then it doesn't belong to me anymore. It belongs to other people. They can interpret it and listen to it. It'll become their companion in their own way. It'll become their reflection on this different moment in their life. And that like takes the charge, especially out of writing some of heavier topics. Like if it's just like kind of a fun and silly song, then you know it there isn't that like weight to it. But if there's this burden that I'm trying to release, the only way to do it is to like rid my hands of it. The only way and to put it in into the lives of other people, hopefully. And you just you hope that it's received with care and with compassion and understanding and curiosity. And then it's theirs. It doesn't belong to me anymore. And that's like the coolest part is that whatever being a late bloomer is, whatever I think of being a late bloomer, it really doesn't matter anymore because other people will have heard the song and they'll assign their own meaning to it. And that's right. Whatever their meaning is, that's correct. It's not for me to say that like, no, your interpretation is wrong. Yeah. And honestly, that that has taken so much pressure off when I preach because I'm just like, it's not really about what I say. It's about how the spirit is working in individuals and like, I just am faithful to the work and what I, if you want to say something bad, well, you know, something's going on that you needed that. If you want to say something good, something's going on, you know, it's not about me so much. Yeah. What was the response like to, to this song in particular? I think the response to Late Bloomer was incredibly encouraging and affirming. It's become a somewhat of like a, a mascot, I guess. Like, just people will be like, oh yeah, I saw a bunch of late bloomers at the show last night. And that's kind of cool that there are a lot of people who can just relate for their own, in their own way to the experience of just feeling like you bloomed a little bit later. And that, I, I think that it didn't need to be, I didn't need to explain too much about that song. And I liked that a lot, that there was pretty autobiographical. And yet there were a lot of people that were like me too, which is really cool. Yeah, I think a lot of us feel, especially I think in the church, feel that way. Like there was something about our church experience that held us back from being fully ourselves for just a little bit. Mm-hmm. What's next for you? What are you working on? What can we expect to to hear or see or or what's going on? Well, I just got back from touring. I was opening for this band, Reliant K, which if you grew up in Christian circles, you probably are familiar with them. So I, oh, I yeah. just got back from touring with them. They're so sweet. I had some headline dates on the West Coast. I'm definitely looking forward to doing a lot more shows in the near future and continuing to promote my latest project, which is called Stages of a Breakdown. And I have a bunch of ideas for new music in the future. So I don't know. I, I honestly like, I just feel really, really inspired and motivated and encouraged right now. And I don't want to lose this time because it's not always the case with me. And so I feel really fortunate that I am so focused that I'm like waking up with curiosity. And as so long as I'm in this space, I'm like, all right, let's let's explore it to the fullness. And I'm sure at some point in time, my body will be like, we need to rest. And then I will do that. But for now, I'm really interested in like continuing to put myself out there and just creating more music and kind of I don't know. I, I feel like I'm in this uncharted territory right now and I'm just interested to see what what happens and where it goes and who I get to meet. And I just, I'm having a lot of fun. 
So I want to keep having fun. <laughs> what an awesome place to be. Yeah. Hey, real quick, what is Stages of a Breakdown? Stages of a Breakdown is an EP that came out a few weeks ago, maybe. And it's about uh, my my ex-best friend from growing up. Um, she became born again. And then we kind of just went through. It was like a three-year period, but it kind of reached its final conclusion in December. Uh, we went through like a really kind of rough friend breakup. So Stages of a Breakdown chronicles that whole process. And it starts with like me feeling my most petty. And then I wrote one song, Don't Tell Anyone, from her perspective, because she was like, you have to stop writing music about what happened between us, which was then the only thing I could think about. And then a song from my perspective, and then the song Raise Up is kind of reminding me about who God is, because I think when you've been in a position where someone is like using Jesus language as a weapon, I found myself just Mm -hmm. self-soothing around the house when I was like doing chores singing raise up to myself to remind me that like that do not let this person poison who God is God is absolute love unconditionally and it was a lot of like I'm saying this with love and I will always love you and then just being very mean and then the last song outro is just kind of the closure of the whole thing so it's stages of a breakdown is like each stage of like the breakdown of this friendship and there was a great example of like one i wrote it all in december in about like 48 hours or something and i just needed to like get it out of my system so we released it in april and that was too honestly too late i could have released it we were done recording it in january i wish i could have put out that exact day because (laughs) i just really didn't want to hold this anymore because it's been this like heartbreaking thing with this friend and i'm sure a lot of people can relate to like losing people as you navigate faith or as they navigate faith in a way that informs them about certain things about the person that you are and it sucks and i hate it so much and i'm really ready to not be doing it uh, anymore it's important. It's an important body of work that I think a lot of us have had that experience. Thank you so much for for yeah. sharing with us. This was such a beautiful hour. And I think it will resonate so much with with our audience. And we want to make sure that people are, are listening and following and um, supporting what you're doing, because it's really important work in the world. Thank you so much, Similar. This is this has been so wonderful. Thank you so much Very for having me. It was, it was wonderful to meet you both. I'm just a late bloomer. I wish you could have been myself sooner. Ask me about my past and I'll say I never knew her.